Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. It's the Keith Walsh Podcast It's essential like your breakfast It will get you up and going Learn some things you didn't know Yeah, it's the Keith Walsh Podcast It's the Keith Walsh Podcast Give you energy like buck fast And if your head's in a pickle Or you're looking for a giggle It's the Keith Walsh Podcast Yeah Procrastination and celebration that's what I've been doing this evening, procrastinating. God damn you, procrastination. Why have you done this to me? I came up to the came up here to the office, to my little room, um to put up the podcast a little bit early, and I've done nothing but scroll on my phone, make a card I was I had to make for somebody, uh look up articles, everything but the thing I'm supposed to be doing, which is the podcast. But look at we're doing it now. It's on. It's on like Donkey Kong. And um, there's nothing you can do to stop me. Not that you want to. Um, it is, uh, as I record this, it's Monday night. It is 8 o'clock. Charlie's downstairs. My wife is on the phone. My son, I think, is out gadding about on the street with his friends. He was playing... Uh, Sort of like hide and go seek, but it's called it's called war or something. Where there's a, like there's a group of people, and you have to find them. Like there's a group, one group looking after, looking for another group. He's just wondering. He said, I, "I met him. I was driving in the car, and I met him." He said, "Dad, like two hours. They haven't they haven't left the fence. We've been hiding for two hours. <laughs> they were just wandering around. Some crack though. Brought me back to the days of British bulldog and um." What was the other one? 52 Bonkers. Anyone else remember? Was it 52 Bonkers? Something like that. Um, yeah, brought me back. Oh, lads, I tell you now. I had a little momentary trip down memory lane looking at him. Um, because he is me. You know? He's, he just... That's me when I was that age. There's nothing more... There's nothing better to transport you back to your old self into the past than looking into your child's eyes. And if you're a man, especially if it's a son. Um, and yes, to your daughters as well. Um, so there you go. They do say as well, I don't know if I've said this before in the podcast, if you suffered some sort of trauma as a young person, uh, t- that trauma can revisit you. So, you know, not really, you mightn't think, you might know about it. It's just a thing that happens. So, if, you know, unfortunately, you lost a parent or something and it happened when you were 12, um, and then your son, when he gets to 12, something happens. And all that trauma and all that grief that you had at that time will all come back. So you just just something to be aware of, think about, you know, because things can happen and you don't know why you're freaking out or why you're drinking more or why you're not sleeping or why you're stressed, and it can be just something like that. Um, that's why it's good to talk to people. That's why therapy is good. Uh, anyway, speaking of therapy and talking to people, my guest tonight is the brilliant. I'd never met him before. Um, 
know a huge amount about him other than that he's a Longford man. So I was like, well, he's from Longford. That's good enough for me. Um, a writer. And what I found out in the interview was that he was also a documentary maker. Um, television maker. Documentary maker. And uh, he does talk at one point about an Australian award that he won for I think he won two of them for a documentary, uh, similar to the Pulitzer Prize, was the Australian version, but he, he explains that. So he was very, very successful as a young man. Um, and then he, it all kind of, co- he was very busy. He explains better, I don't need to really get into it. And he ended up coming home to Longford and writing a couple of books about his family and about his life. Uh, his latest book is called The Running Book. Uh, the other book you might know is The Cow Book, which is basically about living life on the farm and, and his life on the farm. Uh, it's a little bit in the Irish Times here. The Running Book by John Connell, a grounded writer on the right track. You see, because it's about running. So, very clever. This is by Frank McNally from October the 11th, 2020. Frank, did you put this up on Sunday at 6 o'clock in the morning? Anyway, as befits a book about running, John Connell's latest volume weighs in at a trim, 165 pages, with no visible flab. Most of the runs described in it are long distance, but the chapters are short too. The author's speciality is the vignette. His book unfolds like a series of 400 metre loops, circling around again and again to the same place, although Connell's philosophical reflections ripple ever wider in the process. Yeah, it's a great book because um, if you know somebody who's interested in running and you think they might benefit from maybe a little bit of wisdom, a little bit of philosophy, a little bit of thinking, uh, John is a very good voice to listen to and this is a very good book to read uh, because on the face of it, it's about running, but it's about much more than that. So, a great Christmas present, I would highly recommend it. And the cow book as well, both of them. Um, I couldn't actually, I meant to ask him if it was an audio form. Maybe if you're listening to this, John, you might tell me. I couldn't find it. Um, which, and it's it's something that I would, uh, that I would listen to while I'm running. Which would be mad. It would be like Alanis Morissette. Sort of ironic. <laughs> Not really. Not ironic at all. Just a coincidence. Um... So that's it. That's so that's John Connell, and I really enjoyed chatting to him. I could have talked to him. Like I'd love to just get him back on again. I could have talked to him all day, and he was very generous with his time. Um, and yeah, so I had a, chat, a brief chat with him after we finished recording, and I was, I was saying that hopefully we'll be bringing the show Pure Mental down to Longford. So I'd love to meet up with him and go for a run. He could bring me to his to the place he goes. And we can go for a run, John. And we can drink from the lake and then jump in the lake at the end. It'd be great. It'd be only blade and massive. So uh, that's enough of an intro for me. Without further further ado, this is episode 32. Author, uh, director, documentary maker, soon to be filmmaker, um... I believe he's writing scripts now, he said, uh, TV stuff as well. So um, watch out for this guy and buy his books, please. Uh, it is the Keith Walsh podcast, and this is my guest, John Connell. He's from Longford, did I mention that? I'm from Longford, did I mention that? Okay, no problem. You know I mean? I'll my headphones here. Straight into it. Straight into it, John. Uh, John, you're the first. Longford man to be on the podcast so congratulations thank you it's uh it's an honor <laughs> from <laughs> not uh, many of us <laughs> well well i was born in lanesborough oh really oh okay well there we go there you there's go two of us. there's two of us on the it's the longford special okay that's this great. One. um yeah born longford in lanesborough lived my dad was born in amona and uh i lived there until i was four Right, I didn't know that at all. So uh, my sisters would have gone to school in Lanesborough. Um, up until well, I think my oldest would have been in my oldest sister would have been in primary school, or whatever. And then we then we went out to loan. The big smoke. Oh Jesus! It was. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember going into Longford Town 
to see Santa Claus when I was a young young lad. That was the big smoke then. Yeah, well, that's it. Uh, whereabouts are you, John, then exactly? I'm in a place called Lettergullion in uh, Balnamuck. Uh, so it's about 20 minutes from Longford Town in the car. And it's uh, it's kind of a famous place because it's where the 1798 rebellion ended uh, at the Battle of Balnamuck. So uh, there's a plaque and a, a nice little t- a small park dedicated to it. But uh, yeah, I've been here for uh, a year now. So it's um, it's home. So you so you're living you're not living on the farm anymore. Well, I live down the road from the farm. So um, uh, I, I'm married now. So uh, my wife and I it was, it wasn't just suitable to have him. It's not the 1950s. We didn't all need to live together. So uh, I just lived down the road. Yeah. Uh, and so are you, are you married a year then? Is that? I'm actually married uh, two years now. So congratulations. Um, my, thanks very much. Yeah. So my wife moved over from Australia and um, yeah, we're married and uh, all, all that goes along with that. Was that someone you met when you were traveling? Yeah, I would have met Viv. Uh, oh, I've known her 10 years. So we would have met in 2010, probably, or nine. And uh, went out for a few years, broke up, and then got back together. And um, yeah, got back together in 2015. And then uh, yeah, got married in 2018. So yeah, it's been uh, it's been quite the journey with that little woman. <laughs> I am... Um... Yeah, I had a similar experience with my wife. We we broke up and then I couldn't find anybody as good. So Yeah, that can happen. <laughs> I, I I um yeah, I thought about uh, I would have thought about Viv, uh that's her name. I would have thought about her a lot in the years we weren't together, but in a way I think that um the time apart and I'd say you'd say the same yourself, it uh, benefited you a lot because you could grow as a person. And uh, I think there's three things in a relationship. There's you, there's your partner, and then there's the relationship itself. And sometimes one of those three is out of kilter. So I, I know when we came back the second time that the three things had aligned and uh, we were different people and we were more mature and uh, and it allowed us to have a, um, a, a better relationship. Well, I've never heard it put so well, the uh, three elements of, of a relationship. It's good. I like it. Good, good. Yeah, I heard it somewhere. <laughs> well, it's good because it just allows the, you know, uh, I nearly said it allows for an open marriage. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was, I think it was um, the Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh, who's um, this Vietnamese monk who lives in France. And uh, I'm, I'm nearly certain it was him that said that. And uh, he's kind of a, a modern guru, but someone I, I really enjoy. He's a very wise man. And he's yeah. Vietnamese, so my wife is Vietnamese Australian, so um, there's a there's an extra bit of uh, interest there. What are the uh, interesting things that your wife Viv uh, finds about life in Longford, or are there any particular uh, annoyances, or like is it, is she just concerned that she can't get Tim Tams in the shop, or is there other? <laughs> yeah, we get Tim Tams sent every so often, but uh, yeah, I suppose. Um, well, she's come from living in uh, Sydney and uh, as is a city girl. So that's something that's been a huge change for her living in a rural environment. Um, prior to the lockdown, she was spending part of her week in Dublin. She works in advertising. So um, we were kind of living apart uh, part of the week. And uh, it's so lockdown's been good because we've got to spend time together and live as a proper couple. Um, but uh, I suppose there are things that she likes about living in rural Ireland and some things that she finds a little bit harder but um, I suppose we're not in ordinary times either so social life's obviously a bit of a thing but you know we all are, we're all living through a tumultuous time where we don't have social lives so um, that's kind of something that um, that uh, we we just have to 
get used to. Everybody has to get used to it. It's, it's you know, Zoom calls or telephone calls or I've got a regular rotation of people I call. Um, don't call everyone on the same day and things like that. I'll leave, I have enough of friends to leave a group, to, to, to leave space so you're not inundating someone. But um, no, she, she, she finds it an interesting place. And obviously my family are here. So, you know, there's a, there's a loving support unit for her. Um, how, how have you found writing in the lockdown? Has it been beneficial? Has it made any difference at all? <clears throat> well, um, yeah, it's been a strange year, uh, Keith, because I started the year in America working on a book about migrant laborers who migrant laborers in the in global agriculture, a very serious book. And um, when the pandemic hit, I wasn't able to travel, so. Um, I had to leave that book to one side and I ended up um, writing a new book, which is the end of this memoir trilogy. So in a way, I had put that book off for a little while. So in a way, the pandemic was good because it allowed me to finish this 10 year journey I've been on. And um, it was honestly the hardest book I've ever wrote, but it was also a very spiritual book and a book that um, allowed me to put as I say in the book, to put the past in the past. And um, the past is something that I've been living with. We all live with the past, but I've been living with it uh, kind of quite intimately for a few years. So these books that I've been writing are a way to understand my life, what happened, and uh, to unpack it. And then uh, if people find a little bit of wisdom in it, to take that from it as well. So it's been a journey, you know. Um, therapeutic as well, I'd imagine. Yeah, absolutely. It's been, um, you know, it was funny. I was, uh, it was one sentence in the book or one paragraph in the book I was writing about. And I said, uh, I realized when I was writing it that I've been thinking about the same stuff for seven years. And I was just like, what I realized was, and the running book was the same and the cow book. But particularly with this one, I realized that I, I no longer need to think about this stuff. It was an outmoded, it was kind of like a computer system. It was an outmoded uh, way of thinking because it didn't actually apply to my life anymore. And um, I think we're all kind of can be victims to um, outmoded thinking. It's kind of like running Microsoft 95 on a, on a brand new Mac, you know, it's going to, bring up a lot of old problems and slow the system down and um i suppose i had to uh to borrow another computer phrase i had to refresh and uh kind of refocus how i thought and um so that was yeah it was a really transformative experience i have to say so the so the trilogy is the cow book the running book and then this book that this book yeah that's finished yeah so when will that when will we be able to Get our hands oh, on that probably, who knows, publishing moves very slow, so, so it could be two years. Um, the paperback of the running book has to come out, so it could be another year okay. after that. So, yeah, paperback comes out next summer of the running book. Have you, have you always written, John? Um, well, I was an investigative journalist and a documentary maker in the first part of my career, but I would have been writing... Um, to the side uh, I would have wrote my first short story at 21 in Australia and then I got a book deal out of that and uh, yeah I would have always been doing it but got serious about it um, five or six years ago um, about five years ago and um, came back to Ireland in 2015 with the focus of trying to make it as a writer and uh um, yeah, it was uh, just to kind of put the blinkers on and just really dove into that journey. And it was a really, it's kind of been an amazing journey. I feel like it's, it's, um, it's come to a certain end at some point because I've, I've got to a certain point that I wanted to be at. Um, but it's been, yeah, it was, it was a really, in doing that, I actually got to know Ireland as well. And I was someone who'd lived overseas for most of my adult life so I didn't really know Ireland so in coming back I got to understand this country and um, that was 
an enormous I think you know as a writer you have to live but I think also as well you have to experience and uh, I had to experience Ireland a bit to to really understand it uh, because I'd left when I was so young to um, to other countries so yeah I, it was a discovery of the self but also a discovery of of this country yeah because I like the way you weave this the history in with your personal story um, you know place names events I never thought I'd be Googling the words Hitler and ancient cow breed. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that's there's a I, whole lot of, there's, there's a lot of pages there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was, uh, well, you know, that's the cow book we're talking yeah, about. The cow that, book, was, yeah. that was actually um, my last attempt at being a writer. I had given up at that point and uh, uh, I, I had, pretty much thrown the kitchen sink at um at writing i wrote two books before that three actually and um none of them had succeeded and uh i not even like got published and uh my agent at the time was like listen i think you should write something about the farm and i said oh who'd be interested in that and, I, and so i kind of wrote it with a bit of an abandon uh and i said well if i'm going to if this is going to be my last attempt at trying to be a writer, I might as well just write the he- whatever the hell I want to write and uh, write write the shit out of it. Yeah, write the shit out of it. And it was it, like oddly enough, when I look back, uh, so often that's the way life is. It at the time I remember asking a friend this, and I said at the time the cow book was published, uh, and I said it feels like it's all. It, I said it's all coming together, but it doesn't feel real, and he said it never feels real. And um, in a sense, um, when I look back, the two books that failed, I had actually established my style of writing, these short chapters and this paired back language. So when I look back, I go, oh, it makes perfect sense that I wrote the cow book. But actually, at the time, it was uh, it was the last kind of, um, yeah, it's it was the last uh, uh throw at the uh, of the dice but it, it ultimately turned into the style that I write in and, and no one else writes like that so it's been kind of a yeah it was it was weird but and even the title of the book the cow book was a joke title between me and my parish priest um because initially I was going to call the book Birchview which is the name of our farm and um I um he used to refer to it how's, how's the old cow book going and I said Oh, screw it we'll just might as well call it that as well because I just didn't care at that point and um, yeah but it was, it was so often in life it's fine it's when you finally give up and have acceptance that success comes because you're because you're being authentic and uh, authenticity is um, it's a rare commodity in in this world and people kind of and Irish people in particular have a very strong bullshit detector, but um, the, the, they, they could see through all that and they just saw the reality. Uh, and um, yeah, so Hitler and cows. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, let people, but, I'll let people discover it for themselves because it's, 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 you know, I, what I'm saying is go buy the book, the cow book, um, and the running book, of course, and all the other books. So, so, so is this five, you're five books in then at this stage? Well, I've wrote um, three books, and um, the, the, the the I've wrote um, the Ghost Estate, which never came out in, okay. in Ireland. It came out in Australia, New Zealand. I wrote the Cow Book, and then it was published as the Farmer's Son in um, America. Which people get confused; they think it's a second book, but it's okay. just the same book with a different title, and then the running book. So, so yeah, uh, that's that's me. And where were you in yourself when you were? Like, how are you managing day to day? Like you mentioned your parish priest. Was he somebody that you checked in with uh, for the chats to keep you keep keep yourself sane? Like, how did you feel? Like, you're, I know you're writing. You've decided I'm going to write this book and that's it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I'm, I'm done, mm-hmm. you know. Um, how were you in yourself? Did you, was, was it, were you struggling? Were you, were, you, were you, did you have a sense of freedom then? Or Well, I suppose um, I had, come out of a very bad time. I'd come out of a major depressive episode and um, and uh, I'd went to Australia. So it, the journey goes back to 2014 and uh, I'd been in Canada 
I was engaged to get married and uh, I had a breakdown and everything just kind of fell apart. And I came home and spent a number of months depressed and I kind of got over that and got through it and spoke on public radio about, about it and it's well documented now. But um, I had went to Australia in 2015 uh, at the start of the year to, po- to promote the first book. And I had met Viv again and we, we got back together and I kind of had found a new lease of life and a zest in life. And, and, and that, part of that was fitness and running. And um, I was kind of doing a lot of deep soul work on myself. Like uh, I look back at that time and it was quite a simple time really because I worked on the farm and I worked out. I read, made it, I read books on philosophy and myself and read uh, a lot of nonfiction and um, kind of worked on myself. It was kind of a university of the self. And uh, I won't lie, like it was a pretty quiet time. I'd come from a really busy life. Um, when I was in Canada, I'd been shooting a TV series uh, around the world. And in Australia, I'd been making documentaries and working on human rights cases. And so I was back on this farm, farming with, with my dad and uh, didn't have many friends. Uh, but in a way, um, and my wife and I talk about this, I really needed that time to be alone because I had to, first of all, I think with relationships, um, a friend said this to me, we so often move from one relationship to another and we don't actually address ourselves. And, uh, you know, you see it with some friends, they can't be alone. Um, but I think a period of aloneness is really important. And that's where I kind of discovered Henry David Thoreau, who's an American writer who went and lived in the woods in Walden in the, uh, in the 1800s, I think it was in the 19th century. And he talked about living, living on your own. And uh, in a way, I was living a solitary life, but it was, a, it was to allow me to grow as a person and to do this soul work to understand me so that when I did come back to the rest of the world, that not only did I come back with some knowledge, but I came back as a, as a whole person. And um, for me, that came about in returning to an old place that hadn't changed, which was home and the farm. And, um, and I think for me as well, like, like Thoreau said, it was through nature. And in nature, I found kind of, um peace and uh and so yeah it was a it was a very and father sean my parish priest was was a friend i would talk to about literature um and uh yeah other than talking to friends on the phone or facebook i i i was kind of alone for a while but it needed to be that way keith um for me to grow and um and when i came back to the world i had um a bit of knowledge and I was able to share that whether it was mental health or fitness or through my words uh, so it was kind of a, a wandering period an inward wandering period um, because I was someone who traveled as a as a filmmaker and a journalist for so long all around the world but I'd never done the inner journey and in doing the inner journey I started to do the inner work and actually that's a really I think around around your late twenties, early thirties is a time when you're supposed to do that because you're you're leaving you're leaving youth, you're entering your your manhood or womanhood, and you're needing to question certain choices in life. Somebody, I read it somewhere recently. Somebody said your second decade is spent dealing with the with the traumas of your first. Decade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's kind of a strange one. Like you know, in, in the running book, I talk about. It. I wasn't expecting this interview to go this way, but here we are. But <laughs> I'm liking it. No, I'm liking it. Um, it's uh, yeah. I think you know, in the in the running book, I talk about the lost time, but actually. I was talking to a friend recently and they said that wasn't the lost time that was the found time that's where you found out who you are and um and yeah i think well philip larkin the poet used to say that your parents fuck you up but mine, mine didn't uh life kind of fucked me up a bit but uh but my family didn't but it was it was um you know i'm working on a tv show with a friend at the moment and um uh 
he said to me, one of the tendency wants of the show is bullshit and that we understand that people we look up to have are full of bullshit sometimes and that really you have to be your own guru. And, and he's, he's, he's younger than me. And I was just like, I was really amazed when he said it. I was like, fuck, you're totally right. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> we look up to certain people, uh, but, um, but uh, sometimes they've got their own bullshit going on. And uh, it's only with age that you get to realize, I think we all have our own bullshit, but like it's only with age you get to filter it through and understand it. Yeah, and it's the, I think it's the freedom that you, I mean, you obviously, you've been very vulnerable and spoken about your, I don't want to use the word journey, but let's just say voice. Yeah, 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 yeah. it was <laughs> a journey, yeah. You've been very open and very honest and you've talked about your mental health and publicly and I think, uh, you know, part of doing this podcast and talking to people like yourself is, I mean, it's just to, tr- like, Yes, you do have to be your own guru, but it's very comforting for especially Irish men. And we need it now, I think, more than ever. Well, we probably need it for decades. We need to hear men talking about their mental health. Did, mm. did you find people? So, so I kind of so I talked about going to therapy and trying to figure shit out for myself and and, and you know, and dealing with my the traumas of my past and all that kind of stuff. Mm. The problem I find is and it's not a problem, it's just a thing where people will say to you, like, I'll get a message from someone and say, oh, you're so brave talking about your mental health. You know, I, I have experience of mental health. My brother had, you know, mental health. And you kind of feel like saying to them, well, everybody has a mental health. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you, I, get, I get people getting in touch with me to see, check in if I'm okay, which is lovely and really nice. And I do feel like saying, well, will you see I'm okay because I'm, I go to therapy and I look after myself. Are you okay? you know it's like uh because you know once you start talking about it uh, i was talking to my therapist luke the other day and he said and i said i rang a guy and it was about a gig a mm. thing a, a tr- transactional thing it was money and a gig and whatever and, and he said at one point he said uh, look i know your story and i really want to help you and i was like i kind of had a moment where I was like fuck this guy this guy think I'm not well and I need this job I need help and he's going to help me mm, and yeah. R- Luke described it as this is where the rubber meets the road where some people when you talk about mental health that's how they view it um yeah yeah and it's you know I feel I feel like like the other the other day I was like thinking I'm just going to do a fucking live Instagram post and tell everybody that I'm fine and actually, it's you all that need fucking help, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I, I don't know why I'm getting annoyed about people who are genuine, but it's also like, don't patch, <laughs> you know, there's all these, it's, 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 once you start talking about it, it, you, you, there's still a lot more to deal with then as a result of it, you know what I mean? You're, you're, you're always going to be sort of talking. Yeah, about it. it's kind of a, yeah, it's a, it's a strange thing, uh, Keith, you know, um, Obviously, like, look, uh, the, the cow book, which sold a lot of copies and did really well and established me here in, in this country, uh, really only talked about mental health in a very small way. But the media story was all about mental health. Um, but I don't, um, I don't uh, regret that because people need to hear this stuff, like you've said. Um, I did have one experience where someone came up to me and said, are you okay? after I'd been on the Late Late Show and said, are you okay now? And I was like, yes, this was five years ago, you know? But um, it, it's, it's a strange thing. But then, you know, I, I do these motivational talks and I've never advertised to do motivational talks or I don't seek them out, but people write to me and ask me to, to do them. And... Um, something I've never sought, but um, in doing them, I meet people who need to hear it. And sometimes, and I'm not, I won't lie, sometimes I get tired of talking about mental health, but you have to remember that even though it's this 50th time you've said it, it's the first time that someone else might hear it. 
and it's the first time that they might really need that in their lives. And I remember uh, when I was going through my mental health, I, I looked up to different people who had spoken out publicly in the media about it. And I said, there was a great bravery, but also I remember it particularly because I could empathize with it because I wasn't seeing it anywhere else. Um, and uh, I think it was Connor Cusick, the, um, the hurler, uh, spoke about it on primetime. Um, I think that's his name. And uh, I, I just immediately understood. I was like, this is what's happened to me. And I remember showing the interview to my dad and, and I was going, this is what I'm going through. So, so I don't mind talking about it because I was that guy. And um, I think that, you know, a friend of mine says good mental is like good dental. You've got to brush your teeth every day or they'll fall out. So you got to work with your head every day. And um, it gets to a point where you don't, um, you don't have to think about this stuff as much because you're doing it anyway. And uh, it's even like a simple thing. I, the last few weekends I've been working every weekend. And last night I was supposed to do a call uh, with a director in Australia. And I just, um, I said, no, I'm not doing it tonight. Just gonna, that can wait. I'm gonna spend the evening and watch a movie with my wife. And um, the world didn't fall apart. And I got up and I went this morning and I was a lot more relaxed because I'd had a, a weekend, you know? Um, and that's mental health. It's the little things like that, you know? People think that it has to be the dramatic stuff and a life implosion, or it has to be, um, you know, uh, suicidal ideation. It, that's the that's the end point. It's actually the start point is the little things like that building up, you know, and um, that's where I think that uh, we can all learn. But um, yeah, I get what you're saying. It's uh, once it's out, once the genie's out of the bottle, it's out of the bottle, you know, but I think that it's a brave thing to do that because you're in the media. I'm in the media. People need to know that there are authentic people out there who are not afraid to be vulnerable because it's toxic masculinity in the male sense that forced uh, many young men uh, into the graveyard uh, by being afraid to talk about their feelings. And uh, I, I have to say, I do talks in schools and I think we've gotten enormously better at it. Um, even in the space of from our generation to the next generation, like kids are, kids and young people are, are are comfortable to talk about anxiety or how they're feeling. And, um, you know, I look back on my life and if I had the emotional skills uh, to, to know what was happening to me in Australia when my mental health journey started, uh, I'd have had a very different life um, because I'd have just dealt with it, you know, and nipped it in the bud, but I didn't have any of that knowledge. So I had to go through the journey I went through. So uh, now I'm not, I don't regret it, but um, life would certainly be different. Yeah, I do. Somebody asked me a while ago, what would you do if you could go back, you know, like talk to your 16 year old self, what would you, what would you say to him? And I, I would just say, go to therapy. Um, and, you know, there, uh, it's the same. You, like, I wish, I wish I had, like I didn't really deal with my first decade in my second decade. I spent this, I spent that decade trying to bl block things out and it's only sort of in my thirties that I start and late in my thirties that I said, hang on a second, I really need to sort this shit out. Were you with the work before you came back to Longford? Were you like, was it, was it stress? Was it, were you heading for something? Was it, was there one thing that happened that sort of brought down the house of cards or was it just a general sort of buildup of stress oh, and anxiety? Stress and anxiety. My trigger is overwork. Uh, I love work. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I heard David Chang, the chef who, who's, uh, he's a restaurateur. You'd see his shows on Netflix. And I was listening to him on the radio the other day and he said a really interesting thing. He said, so often for creative people, uh, the lowest point is actually your busiest point. And the point where it falls apart is usually professionally when everything's working really well. And uh, that was certainly my case. I had, uh, I had a production company uh, in Australia. I, was, I had a charity. I was about to open a restaurant and I was also working on a very serious uh, war 
uh, investigation about the aftermath of the Sri Lankan civil war. And um, it started as panic attacks and then it just um, just got out of control. And uh, it all, it, it literally all fell apart like a house of cards. And um, yeah, it was a total implosion, but it wasn't actually till I got home that it really hit me and I was maybe a month later and I woke up crying and I was like, then I was in it, you know? And um, yeah, it was, yeah, professionally, if someone had looked at me in the months leading up to them, like this guy's doing it all, you know, I was 24, I had all of this stuff, lots of money. And um, uh, I remember I had this focus in my life, which was to win a Walkley, which is the Australian equivalent of a Pulitzer. And um, I ended up winning two of them. And uh, I, uh, the, the, one, the, the, one, the second one was for this uh, investigation into the Sri Lankan civil war about refugees. And I remember being at the award ceremony and everything else in my life had fallen apart. And I was walking home and I really wanted to walk over to the Sydney Harbour Bridge and throw the award in the water. I didn't, I didn't actually do that, but I remember coming home and my apartment was empty because I'd broken up with my girlfriend and my, now my wife and uh, half the furniture was gone and I had this award and I just said to myself, what the hell was all this for? You know, what have you, why did you set this thing up as the be all when um, you've, uh, You've actually destroyed everything else in the process you know it's really strange but um yeah that's what happens when you're career focused and ambition focused and you have the blinkers on you can you don't you don't see when things are getting bad you know um moby once said that the lowest point in his life was uh, you, you know moby the musician yeah of course yeah yeah he had the album play which was yeah. which was a massive massive album every every you couldn't go into a pub in ireland I had it. yeah i had yeah, it yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's a brilliant album yeah i think yeah. everybody has that album yeah he said the lowest point in his life he was in he was staying in this hotel i think new york on the top floor of the hotel was divided into two and there was two really exclusive these were exclusive penthouses at the top of this hotel and he was staying there for a little while so it was him in one of them and i think someone like madonna was in the next door one you know he was literally literally on top of the world he yeah. couldn't he couldn't they couldn't make enough albums to sell. like he yeah. was everywhere he was he had everything everything he ever wanted he was he had it and he said mm. he that was the lowest point in his life he he was he hated himself he was depressed he didn't want any of it it's just it's it's amazing that that can be the case you know because we're brought up to it's such a fickle I had, a pa- I had a panic attack on air doing the breakfast show on 2FM, you know? Oh, God. For a radio person for a radio person to be doing the breakfast show on 2FM is quite an honour because not that many people get to do it, you know? No, of course not. Um, but to then get to a point where you're having a panic attack live on air and having to excuse yourself. Um, but it's it's such a strange thing that you, you know, that, 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 that you say that you this was one thing that you really wanted and you really strove for it and you achieved it, you know, and on the surface of that, that sounds like a very healthy, you know, it sounds like a healthy thing to be doing. You're working towards something, you're manifesting yeah, it, yeah. You're, yeah. you're, you're doing all the things you should be doing, you're whatever, and you're getting it and you're getting it done. But you're not looking after the important things. I presume that's the, that's the point. Oh yeah. It's yeah, not, it's, it's not important. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I, I remember I remember the day I left Sydney and I had a panic attack with an old friend who was, uh, he's poor man, he's dead now, but um, he, he'd been, he'd been a sub-editor at the Australian newspaper. He was a lovely Irish Australian man and uh, having a panic attack walking around uh, the opera house in Sydney. And uh, yeah, we, we so often, I didn't know that uh, that that had happened to you, uh, Keith. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. It's yeah, it's so often that we, on the outside, when everything's going well, but we're not actually doing the work, you know. And that's the that's the lesson that I learned. You have to do the work, and it happened. Tw- it happened twice to me, you know. Um, I actually was like Moby. I used to live in a penthouse, and um, I was engaged to an heiress, and used to fly around in private jets when I lived in Canada. 
And again, I had everything, but I was completely fucked and uh, lonely. Mental health was getting bad again. Wasn't in therapy and uh, it all fell apart for the second time. So fundamentally, when it fell apart the second time, and this was in the space of two years, I had to uh, totally rebuild myself. Hence the farm, hence the inner journey, hence reading the books and uh, running and rediscovering not even rediscovering, just discovering for the first time myself. And, um, you know, I did an interview the other day and someone said to me, God, you've read a lot of scripture. Uh, and he meant biblical scripture. And I was like, I was like, oh, I guess I have. He's like, no, you really have. Like you talk about the Pope in the book and you talk about, um, you talk about uh, Jesus and the disciples and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, well, I was reading a lot of stuff to try and understand. Cause I tried it all. You know, I went to shamans, I went to faith healers and, um, I tried many different things, but in the end, all of those things, they all point you back to yourself and, 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 and even and therapy, which I, which I go to. It's all, it's all about the work on the self. And, and a good therapist will tell you that. They're, all they do is point out the thing you've said and, and say, flip it on its head and go, what about this, you know? And um, yeah, so for me, it's been this long journey and it only ended when I finished the last book there. And, and now this new part and this new chapter is starting. And it's kind of weird because you, you know, you, um, you try and refigure what am I going to do next? And uh, how am I going to relate to the world? And um, it's not to say that even though I've overcome all this stuff, I don't have moments of crisis because I do. And uh, I still have anxiety. And, um, but I, I know, I know that I won't go back to that place because I have the tools to prevent it. Um, but it's a, it's a funny thing. It's a funny thing. Do you know, do you have moments where you notice, like sometimes I'd find I've, I become sort of a, everything seems uh, disorganized and uh, I can't, I, I describe as not being able to tie anything down, you know? Uh, I can't like I'm getting stuff done, but it doesn't. It's like just, it doesn't seem very organized. It just seems a bit chaotic, you know. But but you're getting through the day. You're getting what you need to get done. It's all a bit chaotic, and that's a sign for me that I'm not exercising enough. I'm not. I need to check in with my therapist. You know, it, it, do you reset? Do you have moments where you where you let it slide and then you got to reset? Yeah, I think um, something I've noticed in the last year is. Um, that I get really tired. I will do a lot. I, I'm, I'm best when I'm busy, but then I can get too busy. And then uh, my body is a bit different now. So I'll get a little bit anxious or something, but generally what I'll have to do is take a day and just have a, a bed day. And it's not that I can't get out of bed. It's actually that I'm just physically exhausted and I rest. And, um, and you know, I, I, for someone who had a bad relationship with the bedroom, um, you know, I didn't leave a bedroom for a number of months. Uh, that was a scary thing. But actually, I realize now that it's um, you need to rest. Your body needs a break. And um, I uh, that's kind of something that I, I work at. But um, yeah, I still like it's it's a calibration process. Like, you know, you're 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 every day is a learning day. So you're you're finding and I'd agree with you with the running and, and, and the exercise and that it's, it's, it's uh, if you're too busy not to do it, then um, you can find that, well, I'm not feeling as good as I was. So I, I was out and I did a 15 K run yesterday and uh, I felt fantastic. And I hadn't been out for long because of the, because of the social or not social distancing, but uh, the, the, the lockdown, uh, my access to a run has been pretty curtailed to a small local park. And I didn't particularly like running in it. And I couldn't go for a very long run, whereas uh, it's 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 lifting now, so I can go to the I can go to a, a, a longer trail, and um, it's allowed me to really um, get back out on the road, you know, um, and get those long runs in. Is that the is that the place you're talking about at the start of the book where you? It is, yeah, yeah Derry yeah. Casson, yeah, yeah, it's a special place. Do you really uh, drink water straight out of the river at the lake? I have done that once, yeah. <laughs> but I have done that once. Well, I, I, that, that was also, um, I ran the Cliffs of Moher, 
with a friend and uh, I think I talk about that in the book and I did actually drink from the streams there because uh, we were so hot and I got sunburned on the run and um, my friend was way faster than me so I was totally dehydrated so I stopped drank just scooped up the water and drank it drank it into my mouth and uh, it was the nicest water I've ever drank <laughs> so yeah you just you, you get it where you can you know obviously it has to be clean and all that but yeah but I do, I do like your, uh, because I, I've done a bit of running, I've done a couple of marathons and I, I love the way you're describing the inner, you know, you're in the conversation you have with yourself, because, you know, if I'm running, I'm constantly egging myself on or giving myself little goals or, uh, um, and I think even that, that idea that oh, at the end of the run, I'm going to jump in the lake and I'm going to drink the water and you, you oh, know, yeah. not, not, not that you're going to do, it, but you got to keep playing tricks with yourself, you know? Oh, that's it. I, I remember, um, I was on a 100k cycle with uh, uh, with a group and this guy from Cavan, it was shortly after I'd come back from writing the cow book actually, I, I wrote it in Ibiza and uh, this uh, guy said to me, I said I did my first marathon in Ibiza and he said oh, he said you learn a lot about yourself on a marathon, I was like yeah, what, how, what do you mean? He goes, oh you learn you're pretty stubborn and he was like, and you're ignorant and that it's actually your stuck your stubbornness and ignorance that gets you across the line. And uh, I remember when I was doing my first marathon, all I, the only thing that kept me going was, I was like, I can't wait to put this on Facebook and rub it in loads of people's faces. <laughs> like, it's so silly and vain, but it's the thing that got me through because I was dying and I was just like, uh, I, I was just like, oh, you know what? Like, yeah, this will be great. I'll really enjoy this. And people will, people are going to like the comment, you know, back when Facebook was more popular than Instagram. And, um, and, and, and that was the thing that kept me going. But sometimes, yeah, it's, it's the, it's the small little mental tricks we have to play, you know, um, whatever it is. And I think um, like Murakami, uh, he's obviously wrote that, what I talk about when I talk about running, but he says, uh, in writing when he's writing books he said sometimes it's cats and sometimes it's talking animals and sometimes it's whatever to get him through to the next part when the well runs dry and I think as a as a runner you have to be creative and I talked with um, Sonia Sullivan I got to know Sonia through the book and uh, and uh, I remember I was amazed when I asked her that I met her during the summer and I said do you think about stuff when you're when you were racing? She was like, "Yeah, of course." She was like, "Think about everything, you know." And and I thought, for some reason, I thought that professional athletes were were only thinking about being in the moment, like they were like purely like a gazelle, and they were just like, "I'm in the moment. I'm only thinking about my footsteps and that." But they're like not thinking about lots of other stuff. And of course, a marathon runner is thinking about loads of stuff. You know, mm. um, the human mind can't focus on one thing forever, so we have to train it. I spoke to a guy, I was doing a bit of promo for the Dublin City Marathon a few years ago and I got talking to, I can't remember his name, forgive me, but he is an Irish athlete and he runs marathons and he's ran, he's ran in the Olympics and he's quite successful. Mm. Um, I'll put his name into the outro when I record that later. But he, I said to him about running, you know, so he was he was taking a break. He was taking a few weeks off. This is The season was over. This is downtime. He was looking forward to having a few beers, eating some bad food. And I said, okay, cool. So you're, he said, I'm going to take about two weeks off, just not do anything. And I said, I said, when you go back for your first session, your first training session, how, how far will you run? And he was like, oh, a mile. Wow. <laughs> and wow. Uh, I loved it. I loved that because I was, and I've said that to people all the time. If you don't, if you, if you find like you can't, if you're, if you're in a period where you're not reading or you're not exercising or you're not, looking after yourself or you're not this is the marathon runner you know olympian and yeah. his first day back he'll do a mile and that's all you that's need amazing. Be you see we we don't know this stuff and and because of the fitness craze there are i was talking to um Eamon dunphy actually the other day and he said to me that uh when he was playing, when he was, when he was a young fella, he said there was a, such a focus on running and he said they had us running all the time and he said people were overtrained. And, um, and I think that in the fitness craze we have in the country now, it's fantastic. People are, people are being healthy and getting exercise, but it's probably a lot of people overtraining, you know, and, and burning themselves out. And I know when I was like rebuilding myself, I was, I would work out 14 days in a row and, um, 
like I enjoyed the working out, but what happened was I, I, and I had to learn this. I was, I had got in a, a mania about the working out that if I didn't do it, this such and such wouldn't happen or, you know, I wouldn't feel good. And you have, and I've had to learn to slowly, um, just to slowly separate that stuff out and not get obsessed with it because I was obsessed with it in a bad way. You can be obsessed with things in a good way, but you know, Dr. George Sheehan, who's this American cardiologist, used to say, make every day your masterpiece. It, it can be a masterpiece. It doesn't mean you have to climb Everest every single day, you know? Um, and like the guy said, yeah, running a mile. That's a bit, I, that's, that's really heartening to hear that. Yeah, I, I find I get I get great solace from it when I when I'm struggling with something and I need to get back at it. You know, if it's he just he just his first day back, he just does a mile and uh, and that's it. Um, and it's a great lesson in that. The uh, and the other thing about marathon running is I the hardest part about doing a marathon is getting to the start line. Mm. Um, because there's so many reasons. I mean, it's such a ridiculous thing anyway. You know, halfway through the marathon, there's no reason why you couldn't just stop and just go and get in your car and go home. You know, the fact that we that we finish it at all. But getting to the start line is the biggest challenge because a lot of, I find a lot of men my age, <clears throat> they want to do a certain time in the marathon. They want to they want to do it in under four hours, under three hours. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're going for a two hour, two hour 50 marathon. And a lot of the time, I hear that they've been injured and they can't do it, you know, because they've just, you know, the, the, I think personally they're missing the beauty of the marathon, which is like, I did the marathon in Los Angeles and I literally, oh, wow. I literally just, I was looking around. I was just going, Oh my God, this is Sunset Boulevard. Oh my God, this is, we're heading for Santa Monica. Oh my God, this is like, it, and I ran, it took me five hours. I wasn't, I had been injured, so I did. I wasn't able to get as much training in as I as I as I wanted, but I really wanted to do it. And I was like, if, if I if it takes me six hours, if it takes me seven hours, if I have to walk it, I'm going to do that marathon. Um, and almost like the marathon is the victory lap that you can just sort of like arms in the air, you know, just waving yeah. to the crowds, you know. I think you're right. I I've been blessed that I I'm not obsessed with time, and. Um, because I'm a slower runner, but um, I, yeah, I think that, you know, we're, we're all, it's again, we're, we're trying to um, impose our capitalist nature on exercise. It has to be this, it has to be, you have to exceed, you have to do this. It's great to have goals, like nothing wrong with that. But like, when you start crucifying yourself over well i only did 250 and i was supposed to do 230 or, or i did it in five hours and i was i meant to do it in four it's like we are we are we're being so hard on ourselves and i think that it comes from you know i'm sure lots of people are listening that are a to-do list person and um you know that's a I, I do to-do lists, but like you also have to realize that some days you're not going to get everything done, you know? And I think that it's, we have to, Elizabeth Gilbert, uh, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love, uh, wrote, uh, said this wonderful thing. She said, if we said the things, that, if we said the things that we say to ourselves, to other people, we'd be locked up. And um, it's so true. Like the, the, the crucifixion of, of ourselves and it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a Western mentality, you know, we're, we're, we're and I've lived all through the West and uh, we do it, we do it in all these countries. We're so hard on ourselves, but if we could just ease up a little bit um, on the, on the self-mortification uh, running would be the pleasure that it should be. Mm. And the marathon, like you, like you, you went with bliss in your mind and you're like, I've already done the work. I've, I've been injured. I'm just happy to be in LA and, and, and do the run. And, uh, and obviously, you know, it's great that there's professionals in that, but like sometimes um, I call it free running, but sometimes we just have to like free run our life and just enjoy the moment because you just don't know what's around the corner and what's going to happen. Uh, well, look at, I hope lots of people buy your book, um all your books and uh whatever title they're given in america that they buy that, them as well but the running book the cow book the running book especially and it's funny because you mentioned uh henry david thoreau you were saying about a book mm. you wrote you brought you made me think of the big sir by jack kerouac 
Oh, um, yes, I haven't read that. When I read that book, and I'm only thinking about it now, I didn't realise what it was about. He basically takes himself off to a cabin at the Big Sur, and he's just talking about being there. And wow. I read that when I was very, not very young, but in my late teens. And it's only now I'm going, maybe I need to go back and read that book again. But obviously, it obviously wasn't about what I thought it was about. Or Yeah, I, 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 I know what you mean. Sometimes um, in reading um, books, when you're too young, you don't. It's, I, I'll give you an example. I remember I saw once the Glenn Hansen film when I was a young fella. I'm sure I didn't relate to it at all. I'd never been in love. I didn't know what heartbreak was. And uh, I remember going to the film and going, oh, how was that about? And then I saw it years later and I'd, act, I'd experienced love. I'd experienced heartbreak. I'd experienced longing. And then I was like, this is a beautiful film. And it was, and it was the same film. It was just me that had changed and, ex- and experienced life. And I think with, with books, it's the same thing that we can, we can read them uh, we can read some books at the wrong time and not take the message um, or, or learn a different message. And um, I've certainly experienced that with, with, uh, with books, uh, that there's, there's other things hidden deeper in them that we didn't uh, necessarily know about at the time. Yeah, and I, ho- and I think that's the great thing about this book is that it's a fun, it's a fun book. It's, uh, it's funny. Uh, it you know moves along nicely. I love your voice in it, and there's a great mess. You know, there's many messages in there as well. Sort of, but you're not beating someone over the head with it. It's uh... no, it's uh, yeah, colonialism running, <laughs> all the light stuff. But I do take the I do take the piss out of myself, and I think that that's really important. I think that uh, that um, so much of literature tends to be really serious and. Um, uh, you know, life is to be enjoyed. And that's the thing I've learned on the journey that I've been on. You have to laugh and you have to have mirth in your life because otherwise it's, uh, what's the point? And Longford isn't a tourist destination? Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is now. It is now. Um, yeah, it is now. There was actually a plan to do a run um, pre-COVID to do a sort of a run, uh, recreate the run, but um Obviously, COVID has prevented that. So who knows what will happen in the future, though? So, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time. Best of luck with everything with the book and uh, keep on running. Thanks, Keith. And uh, thanks to all your listeners. I'm really enjoying the podcast. Thank you very much, man. Thanks. Cheers. Yeah. As I said beforehand, I could have talked to John forever. After the interview, I stopped recording and we, we, we kept chatting for another 10 minutes. I don't know if I was holding him up. I don't know if he was, he's a busy man, he's got a lot on. Very driven. Uh, he, he has been too driven in the past, but he seems to be managing it now. But still enjoys the work and getting stuff done. I could do a bit of that, John, if you any any spare to help with the old procrastination, you know. Any spare energy, work energy, uh, just send it my way, it'd be great. Um, that's why I want to go running with him, because I want some of it to rub off on me. But yeah, that was good. Good old chat. We talked about mental health. We talked about therapy. We talked about breakdowns. We talked about um, living in penthouses. We talked about running the the marathon in Los Angeles. We talk, well, we definitely got around. And uh, the most important thing is that his book, the running book, is out now, and it would make the perfect Christmas present. Unless you're listening to this, and it's not nearly Christmas. It's next year. You know, it's twenty twenty one or twenty two then it would just make it just a great gift and it's a great read so uh, you heard it from me first and he's a nice fella as well so there you go and he's from Longford did I mention that Um, okay that's it Uh, yeah once again thanks to my guest John for coming on Um, I have to go back and read The Big Star by Jack Kerouac find out what it's really about uh, probably one man, a man's one man struggling with himself. Um, yeah, I remember reading and, and enjoying it, but not quite knowing what it was about. As far as I remember, and it was a long time ago. The author Jack Kerouac took him off to stay in this cabin, log cabin type thing, near the Big Sur, which is a place. I don't even know what the Big Sur is—a lake, it's the sea. I really have to go back. 
and uh, obviously he was going back to find himself or figure out a few things so that's my next thing is to get that uh, get that book I know I have Desolation Angels somewhere but the big sermon must be around somewhere anyway that's enough about me uh, and other people's books uh, John's books are the ones you need to buy and uh, do let me know if you get it and you enjoy it and uh, I'll pass on I'll pass on your nice words uh, I gotta go I have another podcast to put up this evening me and my friend Mike um, chatting It was we had a good chat on Saturday I think we were both uh, in the mood for it now he said he was a bit grumpy that day Mike but I think we I think we turned it around by the end we had a good old moan and bitch <laughs> about everything and uh I think we, I think we, we turned around. We were both in good form by the end of it, anyway. Uh, so that will be up tonight as well. So do listen back to all the podcasts. Some great episodes in there. I actually listened to the Lynn Rowan uh, chat myself last night in bed. Just going to bed. Just, um, it's funny because, um, I'm not really sure how good I am at doing this. So I'm quite hard on myself. And uh, I was talking to my therapist Luke, and he was—he said, uh, he said, "Oh, that Lin Lin episode was, was very good, excellent." He said, "They were his words," and I was like, "Oh, okay, better go, <laughs> better go and listen to it again." So I listened to it last night, and it was brilliant, and not because necessarily because of me, but she was brilliant and so open, and so honest, and uh, so that's still there to be discovered if you haven't heard it already. Loads of great guests like Marco Halloran. Um, Ryan Mack better not get into it now because if I leave anybody anyone's name off the list they could be they might fall out with me and uh, I've lots more uh, guests lined up I'm supposed to be talking to Alison Spittle tomorrow morning and that will go out in the next week or so Um, I have John Creedon yes I'll be chatting to him on Thursday so I'm really looking forward to that I really like John and yeah lots going on um, so stay tuned and keep liking give us a 5 star review That's, I think the other reviews are broken um, give it a now like, subscribe if you can and tell your friends and this is part of the ACAST network now so it's just wherever you get your podcasts anywhere, if you get them under a bin they'll be there uh, have a good evening and thanks for listening I love you but in a podcast way, like it's not, I'm not going to turn up at your calf, you know. Goodbye. Good night. Sleep tight. Don't let the bed bugs bite. Of course, if you're listening to this in the car, that won't make much sense. But anyway, bye. <laughs>